Welcome to Think Oral, where we connect the unconnected between oral and physical health. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Levine. And I'm your host, Maria Filipova. Let's get at it. Hi, everyone. Maria Filipova here, and I am very excited to be joined by Jonathan Levine. And we have a very special episode today for you. This episode is very special because of our guest, a close friend of mine, but also because of the topic. We are talking about innovation today, innovation at scale, innovation in healthcare, and innovation in oral health. Fun fact, do you know when was the last large-scale innovation that was adopted in oral health? My personal answer to that question is that it has been 77 years since the last transformative innovation in oral health care. In 1945, fluoride was discovered and added to the drinking water in Michigan. Since then, it has had a profound impact on a large set of patients and communities, irrespective of their zip code, the social status education or medical background. I love that analogy, and it's a really perfect one because it had such a huge impact on the decay rates for the children. And in fact, it was a 65% decrease, which was quite incredible, keeping children in schools, keeping them out of pain and a huge impact. But it was the democratization of the impact. It wasn't just for the few, the two percenters of the people who had access to super high-end technology. This was something that got into the drinking water and had a huge profound effect in the United States. And this can be really a very important question to ask our innovative colleagues what they're building. Can it flow to the greater mass of the people who do have the access to care, but also for people who uh, there is a high level of inequality and don't have access to care? That's right. I love this example as well because it doesn't require high tech. It's not quantum computing and AI and neural nets solving a problem. It's policy, clinical science coming together and doing something very foundational yet highly impactful. And that really sets the tone and the ethos for the innovation that we want to uncover validate and scale through our conversations. That's truly the bar. How many people could we impact with the simplest, most elegant solution to improve, meaningfully improve access to care, improve equity and quality of care as well? That's exactly right. The the word equality is so critical there because people who don't have access to care think that walking around in pain is normal. And uh, losing teeth and extracting teeth is something normal. And it's not until that people can reach out, foundations reach out and start developing a, a, a level playing field to move these people more into an area where they do have access to care. Do you see this incredible change, this transformational change for these people? And with that in mind, I want to introduce our guest for today. I'm very excited that we are joined by the Stanford and Harvard-trained physician scientist, innovator, and investor with over 25 years of clinical research, biotech, and entrepreneurial experience. Dr. Daniel Kraft 
is joining us today from the West Coast. He serves as the chair of medicine at Singularity University. He's also founder and chair of Exponential Medicine, now NextMed. We'll speak to him about that. And we'll speak to him about his current entrepreneurial venture around digitizing medical solutions or digital tools, digital therapeutics for all kinds of clinical applications. And we'll speak to him specifically about how the lessons learned from adopting innovation in medical community we could apply on the dental side. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you. We are really looking forward to having a very pragmatic and real talk, if you will, about what we could do to identify impactful and scalable solutions in oral health. The reality is that over a third of the U.S. population sees a single provider, one provider a year, either a dentist or a physician, but not both. And so if we have an opportunity to touch a patient once in a year, then to me, it makes sense to make the most out of that visit and that touch point. And I share this openly that in, for me, the future of integrated health is when your primary care physician talks to you about periodontal health and your oral health and your dentist talks, talks to you about A1C levels and managing your diabetes. So with that framing in mind, Daniel, what do you see as the most promising opportunities for that future? And do you think this is a reality to be, a soon-to-be reality, or do you really think this is more of a, an aspiration? The future is coming faster than we think, hopefully, and including right. in oral care and health care and public health. It's more about getting to a world of integrated health, right, where we're not so siloed in body parts and where we connect our oral hygiene to our public health and our cardiovascular health and our brain health. I don't think it's very far off in some parts of the world are much more integrated in some systems even in the U.S. So I think it's a real time where we have the opportunity now to not think in such traditional silos, but recognize that, yes, while you're in the dentist chair, you could have your blood pressure checked or hemoglobin A1C. And while you're at the primary care office, they could be doing some elements of oral care that tied to other health systems in the body beyond. So I guess it's a time to connect the dots and technology and new mindsets as we enter the era of 2023. But it's easier said than done. And technology is unfortunately not the limiting factor here, right? So what are some of the real barriers to that future, to making that happen? And I've got, we've got, we're privileged. We have a dentist, we have a physician here on the podcast today. So let's put some of these barriers out on the table. Well, number one, just to be clear, I did get my annual cleaning done about three weeks ago. So, <laughs> yes. you go. One step at a time. That's right. And the oral hygienist was awesome. And of course she guilted it me a little bit about not flossing very often. So I just want to put that on the table. But I did also get now a new connected toothbrush with an app that gamifies it. So I'm doing a much better job at my brushing and my flossing. Just put that out there. So some of the barriers are behavioral. Just, I always remind my kids to brush their teeth in the morning and the afternoon. I was not always the best brusher. And in fact, some of the barriers are, again, are how we get integrated thinking about oral care in our general health. And I think we're entering an era now where folks are getting into this era of more self-care, not just healthcare, where they're more engaged with their own health. They can see some of their data, whether it's from their wearables and other bulls, giving the insights about their sleep and their activity and their cardiovascular health and their mental health and potentially tie that to other elements. So some of the barriers are behavioral. 
Some of them are societal, but the big one, of course, in quote unquote healthcare are the culture of care. It might be the culture of a clinician, of any sort of physician, nurse, dentist, pharmacist, how they see their workflow and their incentive models. You can have the best tele-medical visit or tele-dental visit with a paid for, and the incentives are aligned. It may not happen. So a lot of it still derives from the incentive elements and how we get paid for care. It's still a bit nutty that I have to get a separate health insurance plan and pick a, a dental plan that's still optional, right? That should be potentially integrated together. And of course, you know, some of it is not just having the technology, but connecting the dots, whether it's the data from my connected toothbrush or what does my dentist do with my oral microbiome if they have access to that? Or how could they use 3D printing in the clinic or AI to better read imaging exams that would improve their efficiencies, but also improve their time face-to-face with their patients. So lots of barriers, lots of opportunities. And again, a lot of it, as you mentioned, isn't about the technology. That's right. If you look at the facts, one out of two adult Americans have periodontal disease. That's chronic inflammatory disease over the age of 65, 70% chronic inflammatory disease. And there's 58 systemic inflammatory disease that now connects to inflammation, chronic inflammation in the mouth. So when we think about these data points deeply and What we think about in dentistry is that the hygiene room, because of some new innovation that's living in dentistry, becomes the innovation center connecting the dots of dentistry and medicine through sensors, through genomics. There's some very exciting young companies coming up that are using all of the healthcare innovation research and science and all of the great genomics that's happening with our understanding. And moving it into dentistry, because we know how long adoption takes in medicine, right? Over 17 years, well, it's worse in dentistry because it is still a fragmented industry. The DSOs are coming, organizing dentistry, but they're still only about 18 to 20%, which is yep. pretty good growth. But still, we're dealing with fragmented dental business models of the dentist being the leader. And it's difficult for them to get out of their same old way and adopting these new innovations, not dissimilar to the cardiologists in the United States that are still using the Framingham study as a basis for their knowledge of cardiology, right? So it's these biases that everybody has. and We have to break down those walls between dentistry and medicine and start really shaking it up a little bit. And people like yourself, Daniel, please comment on that because that's exactly what you folks are doing there. At Exponential. So Exponential Medicine, now NextMed Health. It's a bit about yeah. reshaping our perspective, then looking at when this age of exponential data. It might be data about your mouth and your microbiome to the size of your teeth to voice as a biomarker. But as you mentioned, the Framingham trial is a great example. It was, it's still an ongoing trial, but based on mostly a Caucasian population in Western Massachusetts, I think most of them were nurses at the start. That's not representative of our population in the U.S., let around the world. The National Institutes of Health and others are now run this, are ongoing with this All of Us trial, which you can still join as a data donor, right? That will help drive the insights, build different precision, personalized guidelines for you rather than the person who grew up in in framing in a certain social and physical construct. I think going back to the oral healthcare space, not all mouse and risk factors are the same. I'm lucky to have maybe had one carry in my entire life. Might've been helped from my genetics with the fact that my mom tells me she took a fluoride tablet when I was in utero in London. So many factors involved and the rest of medicine and healthcare, it shouldn't be one size fits all in terms of prevention, diagnostics, and therapy. Yeah, yeah but, we, we like that but, example about the fluoride in the drinking water a lot because it's a great way to show that you don't need tech innovation to impact the lives of many. Yeah, uh, but, all, but also the concept of access to care that 
we were dancing around here because fluoride did have this huge impact on the general population. And the, I think some of the challenge that we have is how do we take some of this new innovation, new science, new research, whether it's genomics, whether it's airway and understanding deep sleep and sleep and the impact on our systemic health. How do we democratize that? How do we bring that out? And sleep is a, and airway is this huge issue, not issue, but it's a fantastic diagnostics that the dentists and the physicians have to work closely together to get the proper solutions past some of the new, the existing solutions that aren't so wonderful being driven by insurance companies. These are the type of things that by working together, we can democratize what we do in healthcare because of the opportunity for people who go to the dentist more than they go to physicians. So the, that hygiene room can become an innovation center that connects information and data and real usable data that's being shown by sensors and trackers and going up to areas where we can communicate to the physicians and back to the dentists. What do you think, Daniel? When I would argue data is great when this data age and data is a new oil, et cetera, but it's not about more data. In fact, many clinicians don't want the data or don't want to log into your Aura Ring or Fitbit or 23andMe data or EMR of different siloed segment. I think an opportunity for the, let's say the dentist chair, which some people try to avoid, is that could become a bit of a check-in for all sorts of health. You may have heard of, in the African-American population, the barbershop study where they use the barbershop where everyone goes every month or so for their haircut as a place to screen African-American men for hypertension and identify folks early and then be preventative of heart attacks, strokes, renal disease. Why not use the dental chair as a similar check-in now that you can put on a, maybe a fancy version of a wearable that can do a screen of everything from blood pressure to arrhythmias, maybe other point of care lab elements could be done there, whether it's hemoglobin A1C or cholesterol. And part of that may mean we're going to move to this more, I think it's called omni-channel care, right? Where your care is integrated with your pharmacist and your payer and your dentist and your primary care, your specialist. So that the data can flow and be made actionable. And this idea of crowdsourcing that knowledge, kind of building, I always call it the Google Maps or Waves of Health, where the information applied to you or your patient is really representative of where they are in their healthcare journey and not just built on the one size fits all guidelines of Framingham or, or others. So for our listeners, that is such an important point. And we got to where we needed to get to, which is actionable data that the industries, and it's really transdisciplinary, is physician and dentists working together to improve the lives of people whether it's the microbiome of the mouth that's causing inflammation and systemic inflamed diseases, whether it's the ability to get into deep sleep and airway and understanding those conversations that all of the new research that's emerging. So that is a great point. One point that connects the dots there, you mentioned the oral microbiome. I tried the bristle platform and my oral microbiome wasn't great. I've done it once. I now see that I've got my teeth cleaned and my better oral hygiene, whether that's improved, but to Make sure folks are aware. It's also healthcare education that when you have inflammation in your mouth and gingival disease, et cetera, it gives you a significantly higher risk for cardiovascular disease or now the connection between, was it P. gingivale and neurologic issues. And maybe there's even opportunities to, I'm making this up, reboot the mouth microbiome. We've had now in the era of fecal transplants for things like C. difficile infections or potentially rebooting the gut microbiome for things like C. diff and obesity. But could there be an oral microbiome preventative or therapeutic platform too. And then back to the earlier proviso, how do you align the incentives? Because most of medical care and dental care is driven by fee-for-service and doing more tooth extractions or procedures. You're not being paid to keep people 
proactively healthy. That, that's exactly right. But the science and the research, now that we understand that the mouth actually seeds the gut and those microbiome, the organisms aren't killed in the stomach and one out of three hit the gut and there's a connection between the inflammation in the mouth and leaky gut, finishing up a book on oral systemic medicine. And it's really this leaky mouth that imposes on these other areas, started with 20 years ago with Moise Devereaux studies on the carotid artery and peach gingivalis, to your point. But by work, by working together, and I thought you made to make such a great point, as, as basic as A1C for diabetes and hypertension and blood pressure, the dental office and the hygiene room starts connecting. And then it's just technology that al allows these connected, this connected information to be actionable. To your point, if we started there and we can get more preventative, and can you just talk a little bit about the wellness model versus this reactive model of medicine that puts our healthcare at almost 20% of our GDP? Is there a way that we can be more efficient as a business model by working. I think as we all know, our trajectory of healthcare spending in the US and most Western countries is getting unsustainable. We're at 18, 19 plus percent of our, our GDP. COVID certainly impacted that. There's lots of long COVID elements as well. But we know that if you spend more time money on proactive prevention, that will abrogate heart attacks, strokes, cancers, mental health elements, et cetera, oral disease. So I think there's a picture opportunity with technology and beyond to look at the proactive preventative side or Precision wellness in a sense. We'll have it next to health this March. Leroy Hood, Lee Hood is a real father of omics, but also this idea of precision wellness and how to collect phenomics, right? There's no one data feed that's the only important piece, your genome or your labs, or your blood pressure. It's also your social constructs and your financial health and your sexual health and all these other pieces that are measurable or getting measurable. And then can we start to create the models that often called a digital twin to help optimize your healthcare journey, pre preventatively better diagnostics, and then tying the right therapy to the individual, whether that's a digital therapeutic, like an app or a gene therapy, or changing the microbiome of your mouth, or maybe picking the right toothbrush or platform to, to keep you on top and connecting the dots with all these new digital other platforms that can integrate care anytime, anywhere. Exciting future. And if we go back to the point around key to improving access to care is actually omnichannel care and not only talking about the difference between the bedside or the website of care, but actually taking care outside a clinical setting, right? Taking care into the barbershop or into the community or to the schools. And, and in that sense, we have to think about that behavior change of care, not necessarily something that you get done once a year when you go to your annual physical, but self-care that you get done when you're in school, when you're shopping, because it starts with the food and the grocery bill that you get when you go grocery shopping. And it's a lifestyle. And so when you think about that integrated view of health and self-care rather than healthcare, then in that view, what is maybe, let's make this a little bit more pragmatic, right? Let's make this very real. What would you like to see change from a patient side, right? What do we want to do differently in the next one or two years as patients that would add to that behavior change over the long period of time? And what we might want to do differently if you are a PCP or if you're a, den if you're a dentist or a hygienist, or if you're actually designing a health benefits plan for your employees as an employer. 
So let's just go around a little bit the different stakeholders and try and make this real. In what can we impact in, in a year or two? Part of it goes back to health education, particularly getting while they're young. I trained in pediatrics as well. And we know that the first few years of life, zero to three, and maybe when you have your first teeth and maybe you're a teenager, plays such a role in, let's say, your oral health, but also all these other elements. So it may come back to education, whether you're in the dental chair or your primary care doc or school education and getting folks more, more engaged. This idea that the new drug is the empowered and engaged patient who might be able to look at their base genome data and know their risk for certain diseases or be able to look at their inflammation markers, whether it's C-reactive protein or others, or now use some of these digital tools to do their own oral screening or connect to, to dental care. So Part of it is the education, but the empowerment and back to the data piece, being able to see that in an integrated way that matches you, this idea of precision engagement or precision digital health, where it speaks to you in your language based on your age, culture, maybe even religion, educational level or incentives. Some people are driven by social points or yeah. gamification of badges, or they want to get a lower premium because they've been brushing and flossing more regularly. So why should they pay the higher premium? So there's so many dots to connect, but it sometimes comes to back to behavior and culture shifts within the individual and family unit, as well as in the clinical realm, where putting on my MD hat, we don't get much education in the medical realm, I don't recall. And why should that not be part of your, more part of your physical exam or thinking about sleep apnea and the oral pathways, whether you're a dentist or a, an MD or a nurse practitioner or a yeah. pharmacist. And then potentially thinking about these new digital layers to connect and improve care. I, I recently launched a platform called digital.health. It's easy to remember, digital.health. And I'm looking at the database now. There's a whole bunch of dental-related applications from teledentistry to the mouthwatch, intraoral cam to AI platforms okay. that'll help the dentist uh, look at your, your and not miss a carry to health management platforms. Tons of stuff is coming in space. The trick is finding them and as a clinician, being able to maybe even prescribe them to your patients. So if you're a benefits manager, should you make some of these virtual care platforms, home dentistry kits, telehealth elements paid for, and I'll get align the incentives for the care continuum. I do want to make a highlight what you just said, because there's a myth out there that in order for us to integrate care better, we need more data. We may need petabytes of data. And the reality is that more data is not always a good thing. It's not always the answer. We need more contextualized data in context, data that could be actioned into insights and data that could move forward the treatment or the access of the care. It's the difference. And there's no shortage of data and no shortage of tools as digital.health could summarize these. And you did list quite a few of those vetted, validated technologies that are already being used in the dental space. So myth number one, let's make sure we're dispersing that. There's no shortage of tools. There's no shortage of data. There is gap in the clinician, in the hygienist or the dentist's ability in the hours of the day for them to stay on top of it and to be able to coordinate the workflows and the integration across different systems to talk to each other. Yeah. Maria, let me jump in one thing, but I, what, one thing that I would add to what Daniel was talking about is the necessary roadways for communication. So if we're really looking at actionable data, as Daniel was talking about, how do we take that data and then put it in a place like the cloud and share it with our medical colleagues. And just the most basic thing, whether it was inflammatory democracy, reactive protein, interleukin, whichever ones that could preheat and say, there's potentially a cardiovascular event coming down the road. Just 
what's happening with these other new technologies that's looking at retinal scans and all these other data points that are coming in from our breakthrough technologies. Um, saliva, we believe, is really the new blood diagnostics. And we know it's very well from COVID-19. We know that people with periodontal disease had three times greater chance of ending up on a ventilator. And because, of course, the cytokine storm. So the importance of what's possible with some of this data, Maria, to your point, and what are we doing with it? There's a universal health record in medicine because of the uh, Apple Watches and working with healthcare systems. Let's bring the dental teams in on that. Yeah, also. I wouldn't go as far as we've achieved the universal health record in medicine just yet. I think there's a big aspiration there rather than the cottage industry of different electronic records and each DSO in the dental space. Daniel, you just came back from Israel and you had a great visit with Clalit and Ron Ballas, you're the chief innovation mm -hmm. officer the, of Israel's largest healthcare organization. Anything we could learn from other countries who have probably, who are a little bit further advanced in integrated care and other systems, obviously with the limitations and the differences of incentive structures, right? If you have a national health system, be it the NHS or, as I said, lessons from other countries. What comes to mind? I was visiting in Tel Aviv, Ron Balser, who's the head of innovation for Khalid, the largest sort of healthcare system in Israel. And they have a tremendous amount of data and they were able to leverage that network really importantly to look at the rollout of uh, the Pfizer mRNA vaccine and demonstrate its efficacy and safety and boosters. And that drove not just vaccines in Israel, but the evidence base to roll those out around the world. So sometimes having a, a nimble, data-rich platform with an engaged population is super powerful. It's something that often doesn't have in the U.S. with many scattered, quote-unquote, healthcare systems and data that's siloed and very challenging to, to move around. So there's just lessons to learn from, from startup nation and beyond. I think it is back to this idea of often the four Ps, proactive, preventative, participatory. What's the other B? Personalized. Personalized, right? That is what Clalit and some other systems are trying to really bring to reality. And it ties often back to the word we've heard a couple of times here, which is workflow. For many clinicians, we are still working with epic fail, pun intended, EMR systems. I'm not sure about the dental EMRs, but they don't often seem that much more user-friendly. Even when I had my oral hygiene cleaning a month ago in Silicon Valley, it was a mix of phone calls and finally I got on a tech system. And actually this time it integrated in my Google Calendar. I'm like, wow, this is much better than used to be playing voicemail tag. So I think there's the potential to learn from other systems, particularly maybe the importance of in some socialized systems about rewarding and paying for role care, which again, downstream aligns the incentives. In the US, many healthcare plans don't really care about how your health is 20 years later. So they're not going to invest in it because they figure you're going to change insurance companies every nine to nine months to three years. So we need to realize that all boats float up and include oral care with our healthcare and connect some of those data dots and workflow so that when you show up in the primary care visit or your dental visit, maybe some of those dots connect between your medical record and your dental that your clinician of any sort can cross-fertilize and coordinate on screening for sleep apnea or taking a look at the microbiome of your mouth or gut or putting those together as we build this era of the proactive crowdsourced digital twin. Maria, you heard him say it, Maria. Yes. He say it. Oral care is part of the solution and part of the healthcare solution. Daniel, I've heard you say it. Listeners, it's, uh, it's this recorded. guy just said it, the biggest thought leader, amazing. And I'm just <laughs> noting it with a couple of asterisks. That's right. <laughs> I do want to connect what you, Jonathan, you are saying and Daniel and answer the question I started with. If I'm a patient 
what do we suggest a patient do differently? And I think what I, what we're all saying is next time, Daniel, you go to your dentist for your hygienist cleaning, ask them, talk to them about your sleep. Talk to them about your stress levels and your fatigue and how you're feeling during the day and see what the dentist could do in diagnosing and treating obstructive sleep apnea. That's the first piece, right? Engage in a conversation with your dentist that goes beyond how white your teeth are or your chipped tooth specifically. So think about your dentist differently. Think about them and the hygienist and the dental team as core part of your overall care team. And that's self-care, not not health care, to be clear. And I and on the other piece, what I'm hearing is I do want to underline this opportunity for benefit leaders, for those who are in decision-making roles, taking care of bees or community of people. We need to understand that managing somebody's health, their productivity, their well-being and wellness is requires thinking about their oral health and their overall clinical health, systemic health, as well as their financial well-being, as well as their safety, as well as social drivers of health. Health is a complex interconnected system. So next, the next conversation about well-being and the productivity of employees ask the question of how oral health is contributing or distracting from the productivity and the well-being of your employees. And you might be surprised at the answer you'll come out, come from that question. I wonder how many quote unquote sick days are when you need to have that root canal or have that the not so pleasant dental visit or the downstream costs of cardiovascular events that could be tied to improving oral care. And that might mean maybe your payer is going to cover the medical selfie. You know, the camera, the exponential power of our cameras and our smartphones can help you do your analysis. Why not take a picture of your mouth and your teeth and your gums and give you, oh, it looks like you're getting gingivitis. You might need this particular new rinse or new toothbrush or get scheduled for your visit. Maybe that comes through different interfaces like your Google Home or Amazon Alexa. Maybe we're now in this world of GPT-3 and generative AI that they can now write you notes that are going to talk to you, Maria, in your native language of Bulgarian that'll make you take action that wouldn't make me take action. And oh, I would, I, that would be my uh, the Christmas gift for my parents then next year. <laughs> that really could make that happen. And more importantly, I want to take a medical selfie of my smile and then see the connection over in the next 10 years, if I don't take care of my gingivitis or my, the inflammation in my mouth, to see the implications of my cognitive health and the cognitive decline, because we know there are clinical studies that are connecting prevalence of Alzheimer's and put me at the higher risk of Alzheimer's if I have untreated periodontal disease. So these are the connections that we want to make sure that people are seeing. So we talk about digital twins and medical selfies. That's what we want to see as patients, making things real. And but it, I remember as a kid having those, the dentist tried to scare you and show you pictures of what would happen to bad cases of people hadn't brushed their teeth for months or years. And you mentioned the study of the medical selfie, but we can look in the mirror and see our you of today. But what if you could see you of tomorrow, whether that was your oral mouth situation or how that ties to cardiovascular or mental health or neurologic health? Um, and now you can personalize that. You can have the, use the Snapchat version of a filter and make you older or healthier and dial this up. If you take care of X, Y, and Z, working out, eating better, oral care, you'll look vibrant and X at age 60 or 70 versus this might well look like if you are your current trajectory. So I call it kind of your looking at your future self and now augmented and virtual reality can play a role that even in the, as an aside, in the dental chair, some people certainly don't like to have procedures done. Now you can kick a low cost Oculus Quest and 
put it on in a dental chair and be at the beach. And some folks might relax and be more, more likely to go visit their dentist when they might have some aversions otherwise. And also when you think about where do you start, I can tell you myself, I'm still practicing. I'm a prosthodontist, Cranbridge dentist or a multi-specialty team. We establish in the hygiene room a healthy mouth baseline. So we really try to get everybody to get some basic microbiome testing, CBCT. We're always looking at airway and we start asking proactive questions to see, is, are there sleep disorders? And I just make this as an example that the dental profession needs to get elevated. The medical profession needs to get elevated and come together in, a, in kind of this good communication pathway to start. So we have a place to start. I love the idea of having a sort of an oral health baseline because yeah. now there's all these new forms of data, but it almost needs to be synthesized into a, sometimes a single score. Like we have a FICO score for our financial health. And I imagine, not being a dental professional, that there could be an integrative score around everything from your gums to the health of your enamel to your quality of your breath. There's now obviously voice as a biomarker, but there's also breath as a biomarker where you can look at the molecules in your breath. That might be something else that could be screened in the dental office to look at signs that screen for lung cancer to metabolic disease. Again, other things that could be done from the oral cavity, including the respiratory pathway that could be integrated into that overall score. And when you have a score, you can gamify and try and, I want to get my toothbrushing score from an eight to a nine. And again, maybe that might align with certain incentives, financial or otherwise, depending on who your payer is and how it's designed. Yeah, because it, it drives behavior, just like that aura ring you're wearing. I wear one also. And when I see that sleep score again, a little low, I go, oh boy. And it starts changing the behavior of when I'm going to sleep or all of the things that, the, that we do to get a good sleep. I just have this idea, like the aura ring. I, when I wake up in the morning, I, now I look, I'm addicted to looking yeah. at my sleep score and my Same. readiness score. Readiness score comes from a bunch of things, from your temperature to your resting heart rate, to your sleep score, to your exercise the day before. What if your readiness score was tied to your connected toothbrush and it could tell that you flushed right. that morning right. and for how long? That's right. one up. That's good. Why not integrate with HealthKit and these other platforms? There's also on, on Android platforms, Common Health, ways to, again, make this really actionable and Again, not designed it as one size fits all. And I'm very excited for not only for that segment of our listeners who are data geeks and get excited about data, like Jonathan, you're Daniel here, but for those of us who just like to feel good and feel better and like to connect the dots. And from that perspective, I think this part of the conversation that we are entering in and that we'll probably put a pin for the moment is the most exciting part, the ideation part. Because once you open up your mind to think about the art of the possible and what if we didn't think of our dentist in, in a silo up to our PCP, what if we could connect digital and tools, digital tools to analog tools? And what if we could actually action some of the clinical connections that we know from literature that connect our, look at our health as a system of interconnections rather than silo disciplines? And so with that perspective, maybe in last and an invitation, Daniel, first of all, we would love to have the, continue the conversation. And for those, for our listeners who could join you at NextMed in March, I heard you say, extend an invitation to all of those current and future dental oral health entrepreneurs that they're welcome to the NextMed community and to NextMed in March, 2023. Where else could, what are great resources and what else should those entrepreneurs be looking at in terms of resources and friendly audiences where they could brainstorm some of those art of the possible ideas or get more insights into how innovation got scaled and adopted in medical? 
I think the magic is, and what we'll be doing at NextMed Health websites, nextmed.health, come join us, is that it's, the magic happens at the interface of fields, right? Where you, where a dentist runs into someone who does 3D printing or AI or VR or blockchain or nanotech or how CRISPR might play a role or, or someone who's run a healthcare system in Nairobi that could apply to anywhere in the world, cross-fertilization. And that opens up the realm of the art of the possible, as you mentioned. And also the, realizing that there's this old quote, shared at a prior next minute by the head of innovation of NHS that the challenge isn't often the new ideas, but escaping from the old ones. And a lot of folks, I think, in the dental world are still stuck in these old mindsets and practices and billing realms. So the idea is not when we talk about innovation and disruption, not to just digitize the fax machine, but maybe blend all these new worlds, not just with the technology of 2023, which is already pretty fantastic, but imagine what we're going to have in 2033 and build in like Wayne Gretzky's gate to where the puck is going to be. And always look for pain points and how to solve them. In fact, I have a patent and I would love some of your audience to join me to build this company. I was never a great toothbrusher. I didn't admit that earlier. How often if you brush your teeth, even if you're doing three minutes or five minutes, how much are you on any one tooth or area? So I designed a digital prototype a few years ago of a 3D printed a sort of wash mouthwashing machine that would, in dentist would stand your mouth, it would 3D print this sort of structure that you'd bite into a mouth guard. It'd be connected to almost like a water pick version. And it would do your entire mouth cleaning with different rinse cycles, depending on what you needed. I think there's, I've seen other versions come out of that since I- There are, there's one, came and went, one called Amber Brush. There's a new one now that some technology people came together that just getting commercialized and it's exactly right. It's a water pick, but it's a mouthpiece that the key is you got to get to the spaces between the teeth. Not so much on the front and back. Yeah. So a good example, I had this great idea. We even prototyped it a few years ago at Singular University, but you got to execute on it. We'll see if mine has some legs. But so for anybody out there, keep a little notebook, whether you're a dental student, a medical student, a patient of any sort, find a pain point. Think about how, what's not working today, right? Okay. The toothpaste tube is, you know, they'll sprunch it up. Couldn't that be designed in some new crazy new way? Could that be tied to amplification? Could there be a digital layer? Could you imagine an era of a, making this up, a personalized toothpaste that has the right microbiome and elements that matches your oral risk factors and den dentistal and dental components? Could you use a toothbrush as a diagnostic device? Because it'll be screening the microbiome of your mouth and looking at your saliva. All these ways to think about connecting the dots and solving for pain points happen at this interface of people, ideas, mindset, and inspiration. Very exciting. So excited about the future of care, self-care, and integrated oral and systemic health. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us. We're right at time, and we'll look forward to continuing the conversation. Great. Thanks for having me. Keep smiling. Check out the demo resources on digital.health and come join us at nextmed.health. See ya. Great. See ya. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Maria. Thank Always you. Always fun. Thanks for listening to the Think Oral Podcast. For the show notes and resources from today's podcast, visit us at www.outcomesrocket.health thinkoral or start a conversation with us on social media. Until then, keep smiling and connecting care.